Hello and welcome to the Total Football Podcast. I'm Declan Harnage. Today I'm joined by Matthias O'Flaherty. Hello. On today's show we'll discuss Derby Day Sunday, the Champions League draw and where the Guardiola-Mourinho rivalry stands now. There is no fiercer match in football than a derby match between two local teams. So it was our treat on Sunday to have not one but two local teams. However, there would be no mass brawl on the pitch in Merseyside. The fans inside Old Trafford would be similarly disappointed. However, reports from this morning indicate that after the match, it all kicked off. Talk of milk and water bottles thrown, Arteta pouring blood and Mourinho furious at Ederson. But was, but was it all a bit too late for United? I mean, yeah. It came after United have lost the game, so obviously it's a bit too like, late. Like, where was the fight for Mourinho during the match? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, if you listen to some of the reports of what happened, Mourinho was annoyed that City weren't showing enough respect. Apparently they were celebrating yeah, a bit too loudly. Yeah, too loudly, and apparently, I mean, apparently Southampton had similar complaints yeah. after their match, but... I mean, Mourinho is... Mourinho has previous. To talk, yeah. yeah I mean, Southampton, you could see... Uh, a, you know, a yeah. proper argument from, but Mourinho, like, especially against Pep, even. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a way to their biggest rival, the second place team. It like doesn't guarantee them the title, but goes a big way towards yeah. helping it. Uh, and Mourinho, you know, he's a big thing about respect. He was the same at Conte, you know. Yeah, and then even just during the week, he was very disrespectful yeah. towards Pep and the Absolutely. whole Catalonia thing and Absolutely. the players. It was. It's standard, like, kind of, it just seems like another deflection tactic for Mourinho. Because, of course, this is how we're opening the show. We're talking about after the match. We're not talking yeah. about the match itself, yeah. which we will get on to. But yeah. it just seems like classic Mourinho. At the same time, I have to say, like, Mourinho's clearly in the wrong. He's going over to the away dressing room while they're celebrating. He should not be doing that. He's getting into a slagging match with Ederson. He should not be doing that. But apparently, it was the City players who escalated it further and started throwing yeah, milk. it's weird. There's so many unconfor- yeah. unconfirmed reports at the time of uh, recording. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Michael, Ol- they're FA are waiting for Michael Oliver's match report. He was the referee. And then after that, they're going to investigate it again. And, like, who knows what could yeah. come out of that. Like, yeah. Lukaku was involved prominently, yeah. according to uh, uh, Diana Taylor of The Guardian. It, you know, there's blo- blood pouring from Arteta's face. I still don't understand how it happened, but... I mean, yeah, you've obviously got to wait until all the facts come to light. What we have now is, you know, eyewitness reports. They mightn't be factual. They yeah, might be biased. You can't tell. Said, she said yeah. kind of stuff at the but moment. But, like, yeah, from what's being said at the moment, I don't think you can really give any player a suspension just because there's not enough detail on, yeah. you know, who escalated it. It was something like 20 people brawling. So, I mean, you're not going to fine or ban everybody who's involved with it. Um, maybe Mourinho will get something because he has gone over to the city dressing room and started it. Yeah, like it isn't strange for the one manager to go to another manager's dressing room. You hear stories about that all the time. But in the manner in which Mourinho did it is yeah. what's strange. Yeah. Although I would say, you know, City have got to have a bit of cop too. It's a way against your derby. I know it's great to celebrate, yeah. but yeah, you can see why that Appar- would apparently get... Apparently they were playing Oasis really loudly, yeah. so I can understand why Mourinho would be upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's just like why did this happen after the match it's just the I mean I don't think that a lack of fight was United's problem on the pitch like that that does bring like that's the number one uh, topic for the news is the match itself so we'll move into that uh, we'll segue like the match itself was it was kind of like exactly how I thought it would go really it yeah. was I mean everybody could see it coming you know yeah like there were no real surprises just no. 
maybe Lukaku's yeah. ability to help City. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was strange. Yeah, and I mean, I've gone on about it before, but as soon as Pogba was out, that's, you know, in my opinion, what has made this match play out the way it is. You know, with him there, I think it could have been different. Without him, there's be- no at hope. At best, I think there's a draw in that match. I'm not even saying the result will be all that different, but I'm saying the play style, the manner yeah. in which both teams approach it might be different. We might get a bit more, you know, of a football game, but... Yeah, yeah, it's a lot more compact when Pogba's not there because yeah. like it, it was noticeable that when Pogba went off against Arsenal last week through the red card, yeah. that United shored up the defence. They were a lot more rigid yeah. and structured. Yeah, like there was a lot was, less chances. It was chaotic yeah. when Pogba was on the pitch. Maybe it would have been better just to have Pogba, Pogba there for the chaos. I mean, I don't see United winning that chaotic a game either with the no. finishers City have and the chances they'll create. I mean... Really, what what more could United do? You know, they're not good enough to go toe to toe with City. But that was the thing, though. Once they conceded, they decided to come out and actually go toe to toe. We only got to see it for four minutes because they equalised so quickly. Yeah. But they did create a couple chances in that time. Okay, but the goal they scored was another defensive mistake. Well, all, I think all three all of the goals. Of, yes, were all the goals were defensive mistakes. Egregious mistakes yeah. from just everyone on the pitch. Yeah. It was a disaster. Really low quality in the end. Yeah, and you have to be a little bit surprised that it's the Mourinho team giving up more defensive mistakes um, but yeah I mean it's hard to play against a team especially one with as many defensive players and as good defensive players as United you know even City are going to struggle a bit creating chances but then you think about it like Chris Smalling and Marcus Rojo at centre back is not the is not a centre back partnership that's going to strike fear into the hearts of Man City's front three I mean yeah that's true um, I think Rojo might be a little better than you're giving him credit for he's but, just uh, brainless like, he's, I, just, I question be very, his decision making that's can be, more why I, I he can be I brainless yeah he can be brainless and definitely you can lose the head um, but I don't think City have any you know bad boy up front who do that you know make him lose the head they don't have a Costa they don't have somebody who'll throw like, his weight around I feel like that would suit Bet Rojo better like I remember in the Chelsea match last season in Old Trafford like Rojo relished playing up, up uh, with Costa like Costa was the one affected by Rojo not the other way around that's true that's true but I mean yeah um, like the game happened you know it happened as most people expected it to City are, you know, 11 points clear yeah, c- now. Congratulations to City. Uh, I'd like to be the first to say, uh, you know, it's been a very successful campaign for Pep and they are Premier League champions, I think, I undoubtedly. Mean, at this point, something has to go majorly wrong for them to lose it, especially it, especially with all the other teams losing points this weekend. Yeah, like, we will go Tottenham, on to that. Like, yeah. Chelsea, Tottenham are the only team Tottenham, that won exactly, the top yeah. six and they're the furthest away. A yeah. great weekend for Tottenham. They really needed to catch up. They did, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were, what, five games without a win, six games without a win? Five games without a win, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, so, I mean, they needed this. Yeah. They needed this, and they got it. Fair and they, Yeah, they absolutely destroyed Stoke. Yeah. Um, Mark Hughes under more scrutiny again this week. Uh, yeah. But then, like, David Moyes, probably the best result of his Manchester United career, I think, <laughs> at the weekend. That mightn't be unfair to say. I mean... You look at Chelsea, they've lost four games in the league this season. One to City. You yeah, know? That's, that's a fair one. That's a fair one. One to Burnley right at the beginning with two men sent off. Oh, yeah, it was two men. Yeah. I keep thinking it was just one. Two men they sent off. They were 3 down with ten men, though. Yeah, but they were a man down after ten minutes, yeah. you know, and that's a Burnley team who've been very good this year. Yeah. So, you know, that's unfortunate. Yeah, but in, in isolation, that match seems Exactly. Fine. And then you've got the other two, which are Crystal Palace, who were last for their first win of the season under Roy Hodgson. First two goals as well. First two goals of the season. Then against West Ham, West Ham, 
for David Moyes' first win as West Ham manager. You were, know, were they bottom at the start of the weekend? They were. I 19th, think they were. were. I think they were. Okay, they were definitely relegation. Yeah, zone. they were in the yeah. relegation zone because um, David Moyes broke the record for most amount of consecutive match weeks as a manager in the relegation zone. Forty-one, wow. forty-one that weeks in a row. Very. That's quite incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, like Chelsea shouldn't be losing those games. The other top teams aren't losing those games. You know. I mean, it's one thing to lose to a Watford or a Burnley, a good team who are doing well, better than expected so far this season. It's another thing to lose to the team in last. Yeah. You know, they're defending champions. That's what's killed their, you know, if they had six more points, sure, they wouldn't be all that close to City all the same. They wouldn't be eight eight points? Eight points. Eight points, yeah. yeah. And I mean, eight points is a big gap, but eight points is a manageable gap, especially because City's form won't last forever. They've got 14 wins yeah. in a row now, you know. That's, Chelsea, that's a permanent record for it one, is, yeah. one season. Chelsea managed 13 last year, you know, and they still almost got caught by Spurs at the end. Yeah. You know, City will start slipping up. They will start losing games, especially when, you know, the European matches come around in February and Even March. just in this festive period, like, there are so many matches yeah. that you'd expect them to slip up. Well, like, they play Tottenham next weekend. Like, yeah. that's going to be a big test for Man City. Yeah, but they've no pressure on them now. So if they do lose a game, yeah. who cares? You know, if you lose, if you're eight points clear, you lose a game. That's five points. You're thinking, oh, we only have one more win safe. You yeah. know, that's not quite as good. Now they can lose three games in a row and still be top of the table. Yeah, like that's such a nice. Like I don't think Man City will get that complacent. No, I don't either. But at the same time, I think if somebody was behind them putting pressure on them, it'd give a bigger chance of them slipping up under the pressure. You yeah, know? that's just the disappointing thing about this season because like, I don't even think Chelsea have had a bad start to the season. They haven't had the worst start. I mean, it is only four losses yeah, in like 16 games. Yeah, like they have 32 points from 16 matches. Yeah. Like, that's not that bad of a, a haul. United have 35 from same amount yeah. of matches. Like, they're very good starts. I mean, anything above two points per game is very good, yeah. you know? That's it's just that Man City have been just winning every yeah. match that yeah. there is no title race yeah that's that's the big because, problem because like, everything's really close between second and seventh it's a really close yeah. relegation battle like everything would be set up for a really good season just the Premier League yeah. the actual title race itself the most important one is just done yeah and I mean you are right like Chelsea are on track for 76 points this season yeah which, like, that's a pretty good haul yeah okay that's not going to win the league but that's definitely going to you know that's Champions League places that's Champions League places a little more luck, you're putting pressure on the league winners. Yeah. Unless it's City who are going to, you know, get 100 points or yeah, something can, the way they're going. Can City beat the uh, Mourinho 95 um, points record? I mean, they can. Will they is another question because that's, you know, that point record is very hard to beat. Yeah. Like, like I think, I think... Um, that's like nine points dropped the entire season. Something, something. like it. Or, no, no it'll be 19 points. 19 points, yeah. I mean... They've already they've dropped two, you know. Yeah. They can afford to drop seventeen more. At the same time, if they drop seventeen points over the next what is it, twenty two games? Twenty two games, yeah. You know, that's less than a point a game they drop. Yeah. That's you know, they would if they played as well as Chelsea have been for the rest of the season, they won't beat it. Yeah. You know? And Chelsea haven't been you know, we've been going on about it. they haven't been playing all that bad. If they're champions league level for the rest of the season, they won't break it. So they can. But with the amount of fixtures coming up with European considerations, I think it's going to be difficult for them. Yeah, I could see them come uh, the quarterfinals of Champions League if they get there, that they could just focus on that because they'll have such a... Ga- like, you yeah. think this gap is going to get bigger yeah. the way things stand. Yeah. Like, they could break the 18-point record that Man United set in 2000 for the gap between first and second. I think that's more likely, if anything, because, yeah. you know, the quality in the Premier League has risen 
on the whole, you know, there's, the lower teams are better. I think the like challengers are going to lose more points. Yeah. And like when you look at who those team, who the top teams are dropping points to, like West Ham, exactly, yeah, and like West Ham play Arsenal midweek. We'll talk about that later. Like if Arsenal don't win there as well, like yeah. that's good results for West Ham, but it looks really poor for yeah. those big teams. Like Arsenal drop points to Southampton, but I mean you've gone from a couple of teams like Everton, Southampton, and Newcastle being bogey teams for the top four or the top six to every team in the league being a bogey team. You know. Yeah. There's no weekend where you can say, yeah, we should win that. Like, maybe Swansea at the moment. But yeah, even Swansea then, seem like the easiest team in the league for the top teams at the moment. But even then, like, West Ham would have looked like that before this weekend, yeah. you know? before. But to be fair to West Ham, they did put up a very good performance against Man City. Like, there were warning signs there for Chelsea. They did, but a lot of that looked down to City being poor rather than West Ham being great, you know? Yeah, but I still like I, I still think there was there, there was enough there. Like, there were West signs. Ham shut up the shop pretty well. I thought they at, did, at the and there were signs. But at the same time, like yeah, they, che- Chelsea should be winning. The Chelsea draft. should be winning, and like Chelsea had sixty eight percent possession. Yeah, I mean, like it's weird for a team with Eden, Eden Hazard to be that toothless. He was poor. As he well, was. He's been very good. He lately. has. Yeah, that's that's probably his worst game. They didn't have the a last. single shot on target in the second half. Like considering yeah. the amount of the ball they had, that's really poor. Yeah. Murata missed a really good chance yeah. in the eighty eighty second minute, or something yeah. like that. Like, I mean, that sort of possession. That's Fabregas's job. That's why he's in the team. He's against for to go against the weaker sides and open up those yeah. packed defenses. Like Bakayoko, just he's been hit and miss. I mean. I thought he was very good against um, Spurs, his first yeah. game for the club. Um, I don't think he's played as well since then, though. He played very well against Atletico. Yeah. You know, it's got to be remembered, he had some serious surgery done in his knee yeah, over the like, summer. Does he need a break? Does Probably. He need to rest? Probably. He, he was rushed back for that Spurs game. Like, he Chelsea was, have a history of rushing they players do. back and they making do. them play through injuries. That's that's most of what Eden Hazard's poor form in the 15-16 year yeah, season was. was. Yeah, that was down to him being rushed back from a hip injury. Not giving it time to was it hip or ankle? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. Not you know giving it time to rest whatever, and I mean Chelsea do have a history of it. Bakayoko volunteered for the Spurs game because it was such a big game. Yeah. He made himself available, and that's that's admirable. But he should have been rested for another two weeks after that yeah, then, probably. because you know he wasn't fit, and he's been playing almost every game since. You know, um, especially with Kante out injured and Drinkwater out injured, Chelsea's centre midfield depth was very weak. And he just, you know, he hasn't had time to rest it. And now his form started dipping. He's a young player. Yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah. I think what's best for him is a bit of time out of the team. Rest, recover, you know. Because, yeah, like, he was, he like, though, like in those two matches that we met, that you mentioned, like, he was very good. Yeah. Like, he's got a bag's potential. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. He's he's 23, you got to remember. Yeah. This isn't a signing. He's not meant to be amazing right now. He's meant to have 10 years at Chelsea. Yeah. You know, that's what they want from him. And I think, I think you know, in the long term, he'll turn out to be a very successful signing. I just think maybe this season we'll yeah. see a bit more of the Bakayoko we've seen against West yeah, Ham. Like it, many players before have taken a season to kind of adjust to the Premier yeah. League. Like that, that could be the case with Bakayoko yeah. as well. Yeah, and look, Paul Pogba. I mean, yeah. nowhere near as good last year as he has been so far this year. You know? Yeah, and part of that is down to Manich being in the side as well, yes. I think. But yeah, yeah that, that is also a good point. Yeah. I won't say it'll be that good, but like it's the yeah. same, same principle. Yeah. yeah, and it's happened with plenty of players before that. Yeah. Uh, but as we mentioned, the Merseyside was the other derby. It was a, it was a disappointing draw for Liverpool. Klopp decided to uh, blame the referee for the 
It's a penalty that should, that he said shouldn't have been given, but his team selection was very strange. It was. I I remember looking at that and thinking, what's going on here? He started Dominic Solanke, who hasn't scored a goal for Liverpool yet. He's a good player, like yeah, don't get me he's wrong. Got loads of potential. You know, he was one of Chelsea's highest rated prospects before he yeah, went to he's Liverpool. Yeah, still like nineteen. He's still yeah, 20. nineteen twenty. He's got bags of potential. Why is he starting in? The Merseyside derby yeah, when big, he hasn't scored match a goal. Yeah, biggest season for Liverpool in the league. Yeah, like. yeah, he hasn't scored a goal for the club yet. I mean, he's not under pressure because of it. I wouldn't say because no. he's young. He's more for the future. It's just at the same in time. This match. Yeah, and when you have such good backups, backups. I mean, Coutinho is on the bench. That's not a backup. Yeah, like you know? I, like it was the perfect match for Coutinho. Yeah. Like I was watching the first half, thinking, oh, if they were playing Coutinho, he'd be able to find the ball yeah. to break through this wall that Everton had set up. Yeah, and I mean. Because Everton, Everton were defending deep, you know, two banks of four. That's, you know... Yeah, that's big Sam. Yeah, basically. And with Liverpool, both their wingers like to cut in. You know, Mane and Salah yeah. both like to come in to the centre. You know, so that clogs up the centre even more. Um, you've got three players, you know, playing right in the middle on top of each other. Whereas if you had um, Coutinho has the intelligence to recognise that and come away from it a bit, yeah. open it up a bit. I think Firmino mightn't have made too much of a difference. Yeah, he But at the same time, yeah. I think that's. I think this game has showed why Liverpool lack a proper out-and-out winger. You know? Yeah. They don't have wingers who hug the touchline, get down to the byline and put in a cross. Yeah, and I and mean, like that's been City's strength this year, is yeah, the width. That's exactly what Sané and Sterling do so well, you know? Um so I think I think it's not coincidental either that Robertson had a great game for Liverpool. Yeah. I thought he was very good. And you know that's because because you know his winger was cutting in, he had room to push down the touchline and whip in across when needed. I think he created a fair few chances for them. Yeah. Um and that's when they look most dangerous. So you know, well done to Big Sam obviously because yeah, he's seen that. Yeah, it was a real uh, it was a real robbery there yeah. like we can debate all we want about whether it was a penalty or not. The penalty was given. Wayne Rooney, of all players, stepped up to take yeah. it. I'm sure he, he enjoyed that more than most goals he'll score for Everton. It was his first goal for Everton against Liverpool in, in the Merseyside derby, I think. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I mean, obviously he's got to love that. You know, yeah. Might have come a little bit later than he would have expected growing up as a kid. Yeah, sporting Everton. I'm sure he'll take it, you know, he'll for take a point. It all the same. At the co- no, it wasn't at the cop end. It was by the Everton fans. Yeah. At the same time, you know, Everton haven't won a game against Liverpool in the league since 2010. Yeah, it's 20 David matches Moyes. now, I think. Yeah. That's, that's a shocking record. Yeah. That's, you know... And right, this season maybe isn't the time to get it. No. But, like... Like, I didn't expect Everton to come out no. and win yesterday at all. No. No, but Big Sam would be happy enough with the draw. You know, it's a good result as far as Everton are concerned. Yeah. Like, they're up in 10th now. Yeah. They, they've seemed to just kind of... Get gotten order. They've gotten order back into the team now. They don't look like, like yeah. a complete mess. Yeah, as much as they did like a month or so ago yeah. that we discussed at length. But at the same time, they've only picked up seven points in the last nine games to go from relegation yeah. zone to tenth. You know, yeah, another couple of defeats and they could end up exactly. back in, in the relegation yeah. zone. So tight down there. Uh, but while the, the title race in England seems to be over, the title race in Syria is just heating up. I mean, uh, Juve nil, Inter Milan nil in in Juventus, wasn't it? Yep. There's just two points separating the top three sides. Napoli also uh, only drawing nil-nil. I uh, can't remember with whom now. 
um, Napoli have got to see that as an opportunity lost. Yeah, really. like that really could have made yeah. up ground after the defeat last week to yeah. Juventus. The second and third are playing each other. You want to be winning. Yeah, you know? especially yeah. when it's so close. But yeah. Napoli just depth seems to be their biggest issue. They seem like they just yeah. The loss of Gulam seems to just completely destroyed yeah. their output. Yeah, even though he is only a left back. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, Napoli, the only place where they have a bit of depth is striker, which is good because Arkudiash Milik is always injured. Yeah, he's, gotten, he's done his ligaments yeah. uh, in both knees. He's done two ACLs season, in the last yeah. three years or something. Yeah, it's terrible. But, like, you know, Napoli don't have the financial clout to have the depth that English teams could expect. Yeah, the, even you Juventus know? and Inter Milan, like they both have a lot more money than Napoli have. Yeah, exactly. So I think they're doing quite well for themselves oh, as yeah, they are no right doubt. now. Yeah, And they're playing some really good football. Yeah. You know, Their front three is as dangerous as any in Europe. And um, I mean, they're not the only, those three aren't the only teams looking at the title in Syria yeah, either. Roma have uh, a three-point gap between themselves and Juventus and Ford, but they also have a game in hand that they yeah. are yet to play. Yeah. So if they win that, then it's even closer at the top. Lazio are there, yeah. Sampdoria are having Sampdoria, a great start yeah. to the season. It's too close to call, really, you know. I don't know what's going to separate them. I think this could go all the way to the last day or two of the yeah, season. Yeah, Juventus has started to look a lot stronger in, in recent matches after a bit of a poor start, but... Inter Milan have also completely changed under Spalletti. Yeah, Inter Milan have looked very good this season. I mean, they're back to, you know, the powerhouse. Yeah, and they're, so, they they're so well set up defensively that yeah. they look like you'll never score against them. Yeah. Like, that's two clean sheets against Napoli and Juventus now this season. Yeah. Um, I mean, with Italian teams, you know, they always build from the back. Yeah, and Inter Milan were the, the home of the Catanaccio, yeah. I believe. So yeah. it's it's... What you'd expect from Inter Milan, yeah. really. That's that's what all their great success has been built on. Yeah. You know, Mourinho, when he came and did it, as we'll talk about later, that's, you know, where he built his yeah. team from. When they were winning the league in the 70s, that's where they built their team from. Whenever they're successful, Inter Milan have been brilliant at the back. And their new signing, oh, right back, Albanian. Oh, I can't remember his name now. I can't either. It's 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 escaping me for the moment, but he's been fantastic yeah. for them. I saw him in a preseason friendly, I think, and um, he was the best player on the pitch, and he's just kept that through all the way through the yeah. season, you know. Um, and you know, Italian teams need to do that. Get the cheap signing or two, who yeah. turns out to be an absolute blockbuster for them. But Inter Milan, the way they're going right now. I think could have done quite well in the Champions League this year. Yeah, and it seems like either way, if they do win the league or not, that they will qualify for the Champions League this season. It'll be exciting to have them back. Yeah, Italy finally looks like it's coming back to the top table. Yeah, that's that's what we all want to see, I think. Uh, but in Germany, uh, Peter Bosch, Dortmund manager, no longer Dortmund manager. He's been sacked over the weekend. You you predicted it a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't remember his name, but P- yes. Peter Stoger, Peter Stoger, former Cologne manager. He was sacked recently. They're bottom of the table. Um, Isn't that a bit weird? It is a little bit, but I think um, in Germany, because it's almost the opposite to the way the English clubs are run. They're, the manager, the gaffer, doesn't have the control he does in England. They have a director of football who is more important in a lot of cases, and they have a chairman or a CEO or board executive who will be loud and mouthy and also very involved. Um, so, you know, the manager is just there to put the philosophy, the club's philosophy, into practice on the pitch. 
So it's not quite as important a role as we'd see it, you yeah. know. And I think that's why he's been given this chance because he brought Cullen from a second division team up to fifth last year. You yeah, know? like they're in the Europa League this season. Yeah. They, they beat Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that was their that was their best result in their history. I think the club's history. Yeah, you know? pretty much. Um, he's all right. They're last now, but even then they're still kind of expected to get out of the relegation zone yeah. before the end. And Cologne fans are kind of sad to see him go. They well. are, yeah. I mean, he got a standing ovation with his team in yeah, last. Yeah, he's a bit of an icon for the, yeah. the fans. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's done, basically what he's done for them is similar to what Ranieri did for Leicester, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think the fans were kind of in agreement. It was the time to see him go, but at the same time, they're sad to see him yeah. leave. Yeah, and... You know, it's hard to tell will he do well at Dortmund because there are some serious problems there. I don't think, you know... But they've won one match in 13 matches yeah. now. Like that's but, like, how much of that goes down to Peter Bosch? How much of that can be fixed by a new manager coming yeah. in? Like, the silly mistakes that have been plaguing them all season aren't going to disappear. Well, maybe they will. Maybe that's because the players didn't like Bosch and they were, you know, mentally checked out and that's why some of the mistakes were happening yeah, maybe and a new manager will fix it. Maybe a change of system is just all that's needed. It could maybe. be as simple as that. Maybe, but, like, they won't be changing system. They'll be playing the same sort of formation, the same yeah. sort of football, um, because that's the Dortmund way, you know? Um, like, obviously, it's got to get better for them. The way yeah. they're going right now, they'll end up in the relegation zone. Yeah, they've been just embarrassing themselves lately. Like that yeah. Schalke match in particular, particular was just such a low yeah. point for the club. Yeah, but um, you got to remember they started the season very well. It looked like Bosch was an inspired. Yeah, signing. their their transformation from greatness to terribleness is just yeah, been yeah. amazing to watch. And I mean, nobody seems to know what's caused it. There's no, you know, a lot of the time you can kind of look at things in hindsight and say, yeah, you can kind of see that this affected morale. Maybe, maybe there was a falling out between Bosch and the players. Maybe, maybe, but that would be, to my mind, strange. Yeah. Seeing as he was in there for two months pre-season, had a great first month, and then suddenly something happens and yeah, it all goes just, down the toilet. It's just everything's gone wrong for them lately. Yeah. It's absolutely bizarre to see a team just collapse like that so early in the season. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, they were hesitant to sack Bosch because he cost them something like £10 million from Ajax. Yeah. And it's not great for, you know, Dutch football either because that's all four of the major coaches, you know, Yeah, there's no, um, no Dutch coach in yeah. the top five leagues at the moment, which yeah. is a sad time for Dutch football yeah, especially when they pride themselves on exporting their football. And, yeah. Uh, something will need to happen there. The whole organisation yeah, seems that, to be a that's bit... Yeah, that's a topic of a show all unto itself, all on its own, Dutch football. Yeah. Uh, but the Champions League round of 16 draw happened this morning, at the time, or today, Monday, in Switzerland. Uh, the, draw, the draw gave us some pretty nice matches. The first one out of the hat was one of the best ones, Juventus against Tottenham. Who do you see coming out of that one? That is tough. I mean... Juventus have looked slightly underwhelming this season in Europe and Tottenham have looked very good at the same time in the leagues it's kind of the opposite you know Juventus looked to be coming into form and Tottenham all right they won their game but you know five losses before it five games without a win before um Obviously, you know, these games aren't happening for another two and a half months or something. Yeah, that's so. always the frustrating thing about the round of 16 draw. It's always the most exciting draw, and then we have the longest wait. Yeah, yeah, and you can't really predict anything based on form yeah, either. It, it is a bit of a difficult yeah. question to ask. Yeah, um, but at the same time, I think Juve might do it, just because Tottenham would be coming out of the festive period, they'll have a lot of tired legs, they'll be going into, you know, 
midweek European games with, you know, tough league games sandwiching them. And they don't have a lot of depth. I think Juve have a little bit more depth. I think they have a little bit of a kinder fixture. They schedule. have that experience as well. They have the experience that, of being that, there. That could be the difference. Yeah. Like. yeah, I mean, that will make a difference. So I can see Juve sneaking it on an away goal or something. Yeah, and then Basel, Manchester City, probably one of the kinder draws for Manchester City. Yeah, I would have liked to see City play, you know, one of the top teams. Yeah, just because I think that would have been the most exciting thing to see. Like. That and because I'd like to see City tested. You yeah. know, they don't seem to be getting a test in Europe. Like, they right now look like the best team in Europe. So yeah. I want to see them against one of the exactly, other best teams. Exactly, yeah. I want to see them, like, if, they, if they're going to win this thing, you want to see them earn it for the yeah. first time. Not like Real Madrid two years ago or whatever, yeah. where they got the easiest draws all the way up. But, I mean, if, if they beat Basel, like you'd expect they will, They'll have to play some tough team in the yeah, quarterfinals. They could even maybe get an English team in the quarterfinals. They then. could, yeah. There'll be like there's a lot of good teams left in it this year, yeah. and it looks like it'll be you know a tough ride for whoever does end up winning it. Yeah, and then Porto have drawn Liverpool. I mean, that's handy enough for Liverpool. They'll take that. Yeah, I think. I I don't remember Porto playing Liverpool in recent years, so like it's fresh as well. Like, it's that's... fresh. It's fresh. Porto are a good side without being great. Yeah. Um, Liverpool should beat them. I think it's the sort of team Liverpool will do well against. Yeah. You know, I think. They're... I think the the cup like the cup format will suit Liverpool. Like I think it does. They're a yeah. team for the big occasion. They they always have good one off performances in them. Yeah. They could be a dark horse for this competition. Yeah, I mean they got to the Europa League finals. Yeah. Um. All right, they got beat by Sevilla, but you know. Sevilla are also a cup team, or yeah. were a cup team back then. That was then. their third Europa League in the yeah, role. Like. Exactly. I think, yeah, cups do suit Liverpool, especially, like, they suit attacking teams ahead of defensive teams for the most part. Yeah. And I think if Liverpool, if Liverpool's attack is good enough to overwhelm the other team, they'll win comfortably. And I think that should be the case with Porta. Yeah, I, I think it'll be an interesting matchup, though. Like, Liverpool in Europe this season have been kind of weird. Like, Hit keep miss. racing yeah. to, to Leeds and then giving them away. I mean, they've scored the most goals in the group stage out of any English team ever. Yeah, but they also after, conceded a lot. Yes, and after drawing the first two games, you know, yeah, like they where they really draw, shouldn't they had have. Yeah, they a 3-3 draw. Yeah, and both of those games they should have won without yeah. question. Oh, definitely, know? yeah. So, yeah, they'll want to iron out those kinks, but I still think they're good for the quarterfinals. Uh, then speaking of Sevilla, we've got the two last Europa League winners in a in a knockout round. The winner gets the Europa League trophy again, I think. Uh, Sevilla take on Manchester United. Well, uh, you've got to say United should win it. Yeah, it's a kind it's a kind draw to United. I was kind of hoping to see United get a bigger team just because they've been out of the Champions League for so long. It'd be nice to see them get one of the big teams again, another big night at Old Trafford. Uh, but Sevilla, they're in poor form in Spain at the moment. They're not quite the team they were under San Paolo, or not San Paoli, Unai Emery. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they've they've been better. I think they're on a downward slope. Yeah, you like know. they lost 5-0 to Madrid yeah. at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, they haven't been great in Spain. They haven't been great in the group stages. They could have lost to Spartak, you know. Yeah, they did. They lost 5-1 to Spartak, actually. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, no, that's, that's a terrible yeah. result. It is. I mean, they haven't looked great so far in Europe. And I mean, on form, they're probably one of the worst teams in the last 16. Yeah. At the same time, they've got two months to sort yeah, things out. Yeah, I think I think if there's one team there that can improve a lot between now and the actual match taking place, it is Sevilla. Yeah, I like yeah, they're, they're not to be underestimated by Mourinho. Yeah, definitely, um, and they could be a major banana peel. You know, yeah. I think United, if well, obviously, you know, two months down the line, 
they are storming, Sevilla are winning all their games, you know, they're looking fantastic in Spain. You won't underestimate them then. Yeah. But at the same time, I think United better be careful if they think this is going to be an easy draw and they should. Yeah, like Ben Yedder's had a good group stage. Yeah. Like he's, he's scoring a lot of goals this yeah. season. So, like, you look at that Man United defensive. Eric Boy continues to be injury prone. He could cause a lot of problems yeah, for, definitely. For, for Man United. And then probably the biggest match of the draw was Paris Saint-Germain drew Real Madrid, the current holders Real Madrid. Oh, I mean, PSG have been investing in the squad to win the Champions League. It's, That's their goal. It's the Galacticos of Spain against the Galacticos of, of, of France. Yeah, I mean, both of these teams, like Real Madrid, define themselves on their success in the Champions League. Yeah. That's their identity as a club. PSG are trying to forge that identity. Yeah. You know, they, Winning France isn't enough for them. They want to prove that they're better than that. They want to win the Champions League. They haven't done it yet. This would be a major, major warning signal to yeah. everybody else. And like, obviously, last season they had the complete embarrassment at the new camp when they were four 0 up and managed to throw that away. And if if ever there was a tie for them to kind of remove those doubts ever since that match, it is Real Madrid. If they can beat Real Madrid, they'll really look like a new team. Absolutely, and I mean they've already pushed Bayern into second place. You know they. Yeah. Uh, they've already looked good so far this season. I mean, the Strasbourg game was their first loss, you know. They, they're they dangerous. They are seriously looking like Champions League winners. Yeah, and they're the current favourites uh, yeah. for most books. And I mean, for me, they need a big statement win to show that they're on the level with Barcelona and Madrid. And I thought that 4-0 against Barcelona last year was it. And then they undid all yeah, of that. Yeah, I was the same as well. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah, night. but but if they put away Real Madrid, that will that will speak volumes. Yeah. You know, especially in the manner in which they do it. You know, if they scrape a goal, an away goal, and get through, maybe not looking yeah. so hot anymore. At the same time, if they beat them by two or three, which I think they're capable of. Yeah. You know, if they do that, you know, surely, surely they have to be favourites from there on out. Yeah, but if Zidane doesn't get through this, I think that could be the end of him at Madrid. Definitely. I think the Champions League is what's keeping him, keeping him going at the moment. Yeah. The fact that they've won it twice in a row doesn't stand for much at Madrid, I don't think. No, I mean, past honours, Madrid is the club where they mean least. Yeah. You know, Ancelotti got canned six months after winning La Decima. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially with their league form going badly. If they lose the Clasico, I mean... That, that's the title race over, you yeah. would think. Yeah, and if they lose the Clasico and they lose in the last 16, that'll be it. You know? it'll, be, I, uh, it'll be a nice throwback to 10 years ago when they couldn't get out of the last 16. Yeah. Uh, then in the the next one is kind of a hipster's kind of pick, I think, Shakhtar Donetsk versus Roma. I mean, Roma have looked really good so far in the Champions League. Oh, you yeah, know? like they did very well to top that group. Yeah, yeah, it was a difficult group. Um so at the same time, Donetsk are not a bad team. They, no, like they're, they're the only team to beat Man City this season, yeah. even if it is a second-string Man City side. Yeah, and they have a fearsome home record in Europe. Yeah, um, which is strange considering they're not even playing at home. Yeah, like they have to play in Kiev, isn't it now? Um, I'm I'm not sure where they're playing now. But right. They haven't played at home for four years. Yeah, and I mean they still keep up the home record, which is I think something like. I don't know. At one point, um, Barcelona were the only team to have beaten them at home in five years or something. Yeah, you know? like that is impressive. Yeah. Um, they're a seriously good team. Um, I can see them beating Roma. 
But at the same time, I think Roma will manage to get past them. To be fair, Roma do always have one absolutely horrendous Champions League performance where true. they completely humiliate themselves. That is true. And that, it could happen at any moment. <laughs> we're both so, thinking of the 7-1 against United. Yeah, but even yeah. like they lost 7-1 to Barcelona yeah. recently enough yeah. as well, I think. Yeah, no, um, Roma, out of all the Italian teams, are probably the worst for playing well in Italy and then badly in Europe. Yeah. So, and it's always, it's never the group stages in Europe, it's always the knockouts. So Yeah, you feel bad for them at this point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's you'd... been a long time since they've got either side has got to the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, and I mean they're both they're both um, traditional European teams, especially Shakhtar. You know yeah. they they have a strong you know series of results in Europe. They're a good team, and I mean I'd say they would be my pick for an upset winner if anybody's going yeah. to do it. And then the. A nice throwback of a tie. Chelsea drew Barcelona. Oh, we've kept the best for last, in my opinion. I, this, second last. Second last. There's one more. That's right, yes. Um, no, honestly, this is, as far as I'm concerned, the biggest rivalry between countries, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously, it's not as big as, you know, some of their home rivalries, but as far as European rivalries go, Chelsea versus Barcelona is the biggest, to my mind. You yeah, know. like they've met so many times yeah. since yeah. Chelsea had become a Champions League regular. That like even before that, they had a couple of meetings in Europe um, that were not as one-sided as you would expect a pre-Embramovich Chelsea versus yeah. Barcelona to be. Um, but yeah, especially since Mourinho came, it kicked on. They drew each other in 2005, 2006, um, 2008, 2009, 2012. So many times. And yeah. like they've both gotten victories over each they've other. They've both gotten big wins. Like Messi... Um, Went a while without scoring. He's against never Chelsea. scored against he's, Chelsea. Oh, I he's it was just still check. no. He's never scored against Chelsea. I mean, 2005, Chelsea got through uh, with a very contentious yeah. win at three two. Ronaldinho had that amazing Ronaldinho goal. scored an absolute peach. Yeah, um, like, and then the year after it was even worse. Drogba got sent off. Um, Didn't Frank Lampard score one of the most bizarre Lampard goals? Lampard scored. Yes, Lampard scored from the byline. Um, yeah, like the ball was on the line. Yeah, yeah. And um, Mourinho had a tunnel confrontation that started the U- UEFA loan, I think. Um, ah, Anders yes. Frisk got death threats and retired because of it. Um, you know, it was just an incredible occasion and really that's 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 where the hatred set in yeah. you know that's 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 and the then needle. it got even worse when uh, they met at Stamford Bridge in 2009 I mean that was uh, I I I'm a Chelsea fan so I am biased but at the same time <laughs> that is still the worst refereeing performance I've seen in any sport that is that it was it was scandalous I'm trying to think now what would be worse <sighs> like it, it was um, it was it was like there was 90 minutes of brilliant f- end-to-end football Chelsea's physical midfield Balak Essien Lampard <laughs> going head-to-head with Xavi and Iesta Busquets you know the technical wonder boys versus you know the physical presences of that Chelsea midfield and it you know it had flowed and it had ebbed Essien scored a worldie and Iesta scored a worldie yeah um Essie even got the assist for that. Essie, yeah, it was, I mean, it all came around in a nice circle. It was a fantastic game that got ruined by the last four it, or I don't five know. minutes. Once the match ended, it got even better. Like yeah. it was the antics between the Chelsea players. And the yeah. Oh, players. I will never forget. And then Balak, it got Balak. even crazier, though. Like yeah, you Balak you're, screaming down the, sprinting beside the referee over both, screaming in his face. Yeah, that was. 
Oh. I remember that at the time being crazy. Like the, then, of course, 2012, it kind of flipped on the other side. I Chelsea mean, really just dug underneath Barcelona's skin. That was that was almost more bizarre in a different way because that was the best Barcelona team you know ever. Yeah. They'd won the Champions League the year before, and that was a Chelsea team that was. You know, it was already dead, reanimated and falling apart again. Yeah. You know, they'd beat Napoli. They lost 3-1 to Napoli at home. Villas-Boas got fired. Di Matteo got brought in, you know, to bring them to the end of a season where they were looking to miss out in the Champions League spots. Yeah. Still in the they FA Cup. They six, sixth, sixth that season. Behind Newcastle, Alan Pardew's Newcastle. Oh, yeah. He will manage the season there. You, yes. Okay, okay. Um... Yeah, they scraped past Benfica with Real Morelish taking great delight in scoring a goal Names against I've them. I've not heard in years. I mean, that that Chelsea team beat that Barcelona team with the midfield of Mikel and Ruben Morelish. And John Terry was sent off John for and Alexis Sanchez in the back. Like, Chelsea finished the game with Ramirez playing right back. Basingua playing centre-back. Basingua. Basingua. Where was Alex? Alex must have been still at the club. Alex, no, he was gone at that point, oh, I think. I remember Alex too oh. fondly. Yeah. Oh, those yeah. goals against Liverpool. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, Barcelona-Chelsea is a classic modern European rivalry. Oh, I'm, yeah, but how will this I'm so glad go? to see it back. Yeah. Um, the, last, the last game of the draw, yeah. Um, Bayern Munich against Besiktas. I mean, it's very kind of Bayern. They finished second in their group. Besiktas is probably the easiest group winner. Yeah, it's, it, it lo- almost looks like a tie that's just backwards. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. But, but I think Besiktas will kind of they'll enjoy playing against one of the big sides in the knockout round. I, I don't mean, think they would have wanted a, an easy draw to a quarterfinal. I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, They'd like I to prove themselves on the big stage. They like, would. It seems like this is a big breakthrough season for them, and I think... A statement, like if they, I don't expect them to, but if they could pull off a victory against Bayern Munich, that would be a huge statement for them. I, I'd say they'd prefer getting the reward for finishing first in the group by getting a very easy yeah. last 16. And then, like they could have got Basel yeah, or yeah. Sevilla. Yeah, and then maybe taking on a tough team and showing their mettle in the yeah. quarterfinals rather <laughs> maybe, than. Maybe, maybe. You know. But at the same time, like you'd expect Bayern to win. Because, you know, they've changed the manager. Things are looking a bit better at the club. They're still, obviously, one of the better teams in Europe. But Besiktas are good. They have looked good. They have played good. They are a good team. You know, it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. And Turkey is like any Turkish team. Oh, you don't want to go there. No. It, welcome to hell. It is the mo- They are the most intimidating stadiums yeah. in the Champions League. Um Pepe, like... Pepe, like, even even Leipzig got knocked out against yeah. Besiktas. Um, was it Timo Werner? One of the... Yeah, Timo Werner had to go off because he was getting vertical, I think, yeah, on the pitch. Yeah, vertigo or The sound headache. was just so yeah. un- unbearable. Because the atmosphere was too much for him. I mean... Like, can Thomas Muller handle that? <laughs> I'm sorry, you picked the most... You picked the most calm, ice-blooded German <laughs> yeah. example... Oh yeah, <laughs> um, Thomas Muller looks like he can handle anything. Okay, well then, um, Bayern Munich are going to win, so that's what that's what you're saying. Well, Thomas Muller's been out of form for roughly a year. Yeah, but Yapankes is. That's true. No, I I would expect son basically. Pretty much, like I would expect Bayern to win it. 
but Besiktas will not be it, easy. It'll to be fun to watch. It will be, yes. Just so long as it's not on at the same time as PSG, Real Madrid, or yeah. Chelsea, Barca. Well, you know, I BT, I can watch both. You know, that's that'll suit me down to the ground, I think. Uh, that, that'll do us for the end of part one. Uh, join us after the break as we'll look at the rivalry between Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. The Manchester Derby on Sunday was the 20th meeting between the two managers involved. Guardiola has come out the victor nine times, the most amount of defeats and Mourinho has suffered against one manager, whereas Mourinho has only four wins against Guardiola. There have been many memorable moments in this rivalry, but is there no way back for Mourinho after this latest defeat? Is Pep the definitive better manager and coach? No. No? No. Uh, I, I disagree. Uh, I four mean, wins in 20 meetings four wins in 20 meetings and look at some of those wins like one came in the Copa del Rey final and like say what you will about a final they've won a trophy the Copa del Rey is not the most prestigious of cups no and then the other win came another one of the wins came in the League Cup in like the third round okay but like this is uh, it's I mean 20 meetings yeah but a lot of those were in Spain, where Guardiola had the best Barcelona team. Yeah, but it's Real Madrid. Yeah, but this was a Real Madrid who, as we were saying, didn't get out of the last 16. You know, this it's was so a Real Madrid. money, though. I mean, yeah, so did Barcelona. Like, they had Ronaldo at the time, Kaká at the time. Kaká, whose knees were gone. No, you know? but they still spent so much money on him. Okay, but, like, the Madrid team that Mourinho took over was nowhere near as good as Pep's... Guardi- or Pep's um, Barcelona, Barcelona team. So, I mean, uh, yeah, how many of Pep's nine wins came with that Barcelona team? Well, they team? won one of them 5-0. They did, and that was an embarrassment. Yeah. And then Mourinho went and won the other one that season. Uh, no, it was the season after. Was it the season after? Mourinho, the one Mourinho won in La Liga. He only won once in La Liga. It was for, for the league, basically. That's yeah. what that crowned them but as like, champions. Yeah, I mean, he beat the best Barcelona team in history. He beat them the year they won the Champions League. And the more, I think that's the more impressive one, the, the 3-1 for Inter. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. even then, I think at least one, if not two, of those goals were offside. I mean, yeah, there was definitely a bit of luck involved there. But, like, that Inter team had no right beating Barcelona that year. You know, they should have, Barcelona should have been the first two-time Champions League winners with that Pep team. I mean, oh, he's, Pep's had the better teams every time they've played. Like, no, but I think if you look, I think if you look at the two, the two Manchester clubs, they both spent about roughly the same amount of money. They both, they both started with poor squads. And you look at what Pep's built and you look at what Mourinho's built and you'd much rather what Pep's built. I mean, Pep is a man who, his team's, Right, he's very dogmatic. He's a very dogmatic manager. He plays one way, and that's the way he plays. Well, they're both kind of like that. They're, just they're the... not. They're not at all. Mourinho, when he started out with Porto, um, sort of brought the four-three-three into vogue in Europe. Right? Yeah. Rafa Benitez changed to the Premier League. Yeah, that as well. Rafa Benitez of Valencia had been, you know, popularizing a four-two-three-one. Um, Arsene Wenger with the Invincibles had been getting a 4-2-4 almost with, you know, four floating yeah. attackers. Um, and Mourinho came out and he was, he brought the big shift in European football to playing three central midfielders. Okay? And that's, that's something that Pep has always done. But Pep started four years later. He only managed, um, he 
took over Barcelona in 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Mourinho won the Champions League in 2004. 2007. Was it? I don't it was know. Barcelona yeah, it was B in 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Mourinho won the Champions League with Porto in 2004. The weirdest Champions League I can remember in a long time. Um, he beat he beat Sir Alex Ferguson's United. Yeah, that's kind of what put him on the, the map. Yeah, with that, yeah. One all draw at Old yeah, Trafford with that famous knee slide. Yeah. Um, but like at that point, English teams were still a bit behind. They were like Ferguson was playing a four four two at that point. I think. Yeah, like the Premier League was yet to really evolve tactically. Yeah. yeah. So then he came to Chelsea, and he played three in the middle, and nobody could handle it. Like he had, I think it was Lampard, Thiago, and Makélélé his first year in yeah. the middle. Um, and it just like it bullied people, you know. Um, they couldn't hand the share, handle the power in the middle, but that's because that's that's the Chelsea team he inherited. At this point, Mourinho played the one way with every team, but then he moves to Inter, and he's got a completely different setup. He's got a lot of aging players. Um, he doesn't have the physical midfield he had at Chelsea. Um, he doesn't have the wingers. I mean, he had Joe Cole and Arjen Robin, who at the time were were two of the best. You know, yeah. Damien Duff was there too. Um, at the best period of his career, really, you know, Chelsea's wingers were amazing. Inter's weren't, so he changed up the system. He played in a different way, and he went out and won the Champions League, playing through the middle with Wesley Snyder. Yeah, but Pep's you know, never needed to change the system as well. Like he's that, constantly yeah. winning. Pep's never needed to change the system because the clubs accommodate Pep. Pep is bigger than the club. When it came to Barcelona, you know. Pep plays the Barcelona way, but also the players he had. Um, Pep's Pep system is based on winning possession but in I, the middle. I think that he improved all of those players far more than I mean, it was ever expected. Like if you look at Xavi and Iniesta, they were in that 2006 World Cup Spain team. Like that was just it seemed like typical Spain. Oh, they get to the quarterfinals, they'll they'll play some nice football, but they won't threaten anyone. And turn and like those players became the two two of the best midfielders of all time, certainly of their generation. I mean, I think you definitely have a point with Xavi. He he was improved by Pep, but I think Iniesta was always you know one yeah. of the best midfielders in the world. But I still think he was improved by Pep. But like we've got plenty of players. Like look at that Chelsea team that won the Champions League in 2012. You know that core was players who were improved by Mourinho. You know Drogba, Terry, Lampard, Czech. Those four were made into such a spine for the team under Mourinho. And it's under Mourinho that it happened. Those four personified that winning Chelsea. And that's because of Mourinho. When he came to Inter, he took Diego Melito and won at Serie A. You know? But did he improve Melito or did Melito just like to play under Mourinho? Because if you look at what Melito did after that, and like it's similar with a lot of that Inter Milan team, a lot of that team was not very good after Mourinho left. But I think, like, Mourinho, yeah, maybe he didn't improve them permanently, but that was an old Inter Milan team, you know? There, you can't expect Marco Materazzi, who's 33, when Mourinho no, but takes even, over. Like, Wesley Schneider was, like, young enough. I think he was 27, 28 that season. Like, he still should have had another two or three years. And, uh, yeah, but Schneider... Schneider was never as good as some people think he was, apart from that year with Mourinho. I think he was the best player on the planet that se- that that, se- that one season. Yeah, like, I think exactly. if Mourinho gets gets his players to play for him, like he he gees them, he gees them up, like he, he right. gets them motivated. But I don't think he actually improves them as a player. 
I mean, like, look like at, look. okay, okay. When you say improve him as a player, does he make their technique better? Does he coach them to think better? Is that what you're like? That's what I'm going. That's for what more. you're saying. Guardiola does. Mourinho doesn't do that because Mourinho sets up a system to suit his players. Pep makes his players suit the system. Mourinho makes a system that suits his players. If you understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why Mourinho plays with what he has. He, because with City. Guardiola has been going really well with City this season, but the framework for that has been laid three or four years in advance. They've got uh, Tiki Bergenstein and um, Sorrento. Yeah, in the yeah, they're the backroom staff for City. They're like in charge of transfers. They were the guys in charge of Barcelona when Pep was there. City have been wanting to play a Pep football, and they've been setting up the club to play Pep football for years, and that's why it's coming together the way it is. But I just think, like, I think when they both join the Manchester clubs, it's a very good starting point to show you how Pep is good and, like, the good aspects of both managers and the bad aspects of both managers. Like, Pep seemed a little too stuck in his way last year, but he's come good this year. And, like, that Man City team is amazing. But, like, that Man City team has been fantastic this year. Yeah. Last year, he couldn't do it with the fullbacks he had at the club, he couldn't do it with the centre backs he had at the club. Um, like, but Mourinho was similarly poor last season. Like, that Man United team was terrible at times. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I don't think Mourinho's been as good at Man United as he has been, you know, before that. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, they say, what, 15 years is about the shelf life of a manager? Yeah. Mourinho's been around for 13, 14 now, you know? Um, but, like, I just feel that Guardiola needs a specific environment to thrive, you know? He went to Bayern, he played well. His Bayern team played well. They won the Bundesliga all three years, I think. Yeah, they didn't, comfortably. Yeah, they didn't win the Champions League. They got beat 7-1, 7-0 in aggregate once. You know, by Carlo Ancelotti's... By Carlo Ancelotti's Real Madrid. You know, they were a good team without being Europe's best. No, but then look at what happened to Bayern Munich once he left. Like, Carlo Ancelotti just got this big 7-1 win over, over Pep. Like, he's a fantastic manager. He's done loads, loads throughout his career, multiple Champions Leagues. And then he goes to Bayern Munich and he just can't do anything with these players that Pep did loads with. But, like, Pep did loads with these players, but you were saying he improves players. He disimproved David Alaba. Well, I, I didn't really particularly rate Alaba before Pep arrived, but I, I, I mean, I see that point. I mean, I think you might have been blind then. He was 20 and one of the best fullbacks in the world. And then, I, I've and then, never been convinced by him. But the thing is, like... Uh, he okay, maybe he wasn't as good as he looked, maybe it was just potential, but at the same time Pep moved him to defensive midfield. And Alaba says he prefers playing there, okay, he's a better left back. It's like Oxley Chamberlain. He's a better full back than he is centre mid. Yeah. You know? It's the manager's job to get the best out of his players. So you know But he could afford to do that at, at Bayern. He could, absolutely, he could. But I think part of the reason he didn't win the Champions League with Bayern is because the club wasn't quite right for him. You know, um, he played Philip Lamb in centre back. You know, this is the best right back in the world. Why are you playing him as a centre back? Because, because Guardiola wanted to come in and change things and improve them and do it his way. And if that meant, you know, playing the best right back in the world in centre back, where he's merely a very good centre back, so be it. You know, I think he sacrificed some of his team's effectiveness. Um, so he could play his football. And I think that's part of why they never won a Champions League under him. No, but like Manuel Neuer is, def- like a lot of people will argue that he is the best goalkeeper in the world. And a lot of that argument started to come out because of Pep. 
Like, he was very good under Jopankes before that. But he was basically a midfielder for that Bayern Munich team. Yeah, he was. But he's always been a keeper who comes out of his goal and, you know, plays around with football. It's just that is absolutely what Pep wants out of his keepers. So Manuel Neuer was a puzzle piece that completely fitted Pep's system, you know. So he looks better in it. But like I said earlier, Mourinho takes the system, builds it around the players he has or the players he brings in. It is two clashes of philosophy. So it is is kind of... Hard to debate which one is yeah, I mean, better than okay, the other. Okay, definitely um, Guardiola's teams play better football. Yeah. You know, flat out. But I just think, you know, if you're a random top European team, you take Mourinho. Because if your team and your club isn't set up for having Guardiola, it won't work as well. Because um, I know, I yeah, it's a bit of a weird argument to make, but... Like, that Barcelona team, how much of it did he need to change? He brought well, he, in... He got rid of Ronaldinho and Deco, who were two of the best players in Europe, particularly Ronaldinho. He got rid of Ronaldinho, who was 30, refused to train, and was partying every night. You he know? was still doing that when he was 26, 27. Like, he was influential in Barcelona, winning the Champions League a few years before that. Right, but Ronaldinho always I think in hindsight it looks like a good decision but at the time there were questions okay definitely it took a lot of it took a lot of courage to do that yeah and it took a lot of courage to get rid of Deco who'd been a big part of you know a successful team there but at the same time and he, like he brought up Sergio Busquets he did feel like that absolutely again, and I think Mourinho uh, would never do anything like that yeah I, I think Sergio Busquets was the piece of the puzzle that Barcelona like were missing before that playing Messi in false nine his best position like who's going to play who's going to think of that at that time no one's playing false nine at at that stage I mean I go back to um, Arsenal's Invincibles who was the striker there Dennis Bergkamp who dropped back into midfield like a false nine you know no but they also had Thierry Henry who was out in the wing for that Invincibles team yeah I mean yeah like you're not wrong it was definitely um the first time to be sort of codified as a like, false like nine, Ber- but other like teams Bergkamp had done was a it. Ten. Bergkamp was a ten, playing as a nine. He was a ten, like Cantona was a ten. Yeah, playing in the position of a nine, which is what a false nine is. You know, I no, I agree, I agree. It took it took a lot of courage from Pep to do that, and it was it was like he spotted the talent of Busquets, and he was you know fantastic at that. Um, which yeah, like, like I'm Ger- not trying Jared to. Pique was a laughing stock on his way out of Manchester United. And he turned into one of the best centre-backs in the world under but Pep. The problem with Pique is that he's not a very good defender. It didn't matter for that Barcelona team. No, it didn't. But that's because um, Pep's teams, if they have enough control in the midfield, the defence barely gets bothered at all. You know, you have full-backs bombing on. But Daniel they were still Alves useful assets. Absolutely, yeah. No, I'm just saying Pique's strength as a defender is his ball-playing, his distribution. Yeah. You know? He's perfectly suited to a Pep Guardiola team. I still think he's a good defender. And he improved as a defender under Pep. He has improved as a defender. He's a better defender now than he used to be. But at the same time, um, if Pep had not had um, Carlos Puyol and Jared Pique, and instead he'd had Marto Matarazzi and Gary Cahill as the centre-backs, his system wouldn't have worked. That's what I'm saying. It's just that Pep is very, very good at what he does. But... He needs everything to be right for it, you know? And I mean... Well, he played Mangala yesterday, and I think we can all agree Mangala is not the best defender in the world. He did very well when he came on yesterday. Nicholas Odomendi has turned into a, a goal-scoring goal centre-back. Like, he got four in his four up to now for City 
under Manuel Pellegrini. He's gotten five goals this season. Yeah, no, um, Otamendi's been very good, and um, that is down to Pep, you know. But like I, he's, he's not a ball playing centre back. He's not. But like John Stones is his ball centre ball playing centre back, and he has improved greatly. Yeah, but Nicholas Otamendi has improved just as significantly, and he's become huge for a city now that Stones is out injured. Yeah, but I still don't think that Otamendi is all that fantastic a back. No, he he was at fault for the goal yesterday, but that was, was a weird mistake. Like He's going to have mistakes in him just because I think that's in his nature, but he's making fewer mistakes than he was. Yeah, no, definitely. He's been improved by Guardiola. Guardiola does improve players, but like he improves them into what he needs them to be. Um, Like... Okay, um, John Stones was already a Guardiola-type player. Yeah. He's gotten better as a Guardiola-type player. But, like, Fabian Delph, you know, he's also been improved. He's looking better, you know, he's out in the wing. Um, he's improving, but he's now a Guardiola fullback, you know. Um, but, like, Mourinho, if he builds his team around his players, it doesn't require the player to learn anything new. It doesn't... Like, Pep is good at getting that done. These players should be learning how to play some... Like, they should be learning. Yes, but it also, if you get it wrong, it'll stunt their future growth. It'll, like, make them worse. Like, it'll make them jack-of-all-trades when you're changing a centre midfielder like Fabian Delph to a fullback, And I think Delph was partially at fault for the goal yesterday too, yeah, which is also right. showing that he's not really a back, he's a centre mid. Fernandinho's dropping into centre back, which is good and all. He's a holding midfielder. He knows kind of what he's doing. He can play the ball. But at the same time, Fernandinho at centre back has a mistake in him, you know? Yeah. Um, it's the same with Vinaldum playing centre back for Liverpool. You know, there's mistakes in him. And when it works, it looks great. It's improving the player. It's fantastic. When it doesn't work, like with David Alaba at Bayern Munich, you know, it stunts his potential. It makes him a jack of all trades. Alaba can now is a left back who can play centre mid. He's only a good left back. He's only a good centre mid. Yeah. You know, he looked like he could be great. Javi Martinez, he's a good centre back. He's a good midfielder. He's not, you know, one of the best at either. Uh, I think he's a pretty good I think he's pretty good at both. I mean he's good at both. But if he'd been left in one, if, you know, Guardiola had sort of... He was a defensive mid when Guardiola took over. If Guardiola had changed his system slightly, played him in the Busquets role instead of trying to play him in centre-back, I think Javi Martinez would be a better player right now. Yeah, maybe. And I think that's why Mourinho is, you know, good in a different way at improving his players. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to disparage Mourinho. He's clearly achieved a lot as a manager. Like, winning the Champions League of Porto, as we mentioned, is a great achievement. Winning the treble with Inter, that's going to be remembered for a long time. Like, that's a that's a great achievement. I just think that what Pep has brought to football is a lot better than what Mourinho has brought to football. I mean, if you're ter- talking about the long-term sort of tactical... Um contribution to football Guardiola's is without question better than Mourinho I think Mourinho's you know innovation in the early mid-noughties is a little disregarded by people I mean remember pretty much five six years ago everybody played a 4-2-3-1 in England everybody played a 4-2-3-1 that came through Mourinho yeah no like the the first Chelsea side that won 95 points and uh, won 29 league matches like that was an incredible side like I just 
there's something about like that. This Guardiola, team, if the, if if this Man City team actually do go do break that points record that we mentioned at the start of the show, like that's that's going to be a low blow for Mourinho. Oh, definitely. I I think he'll definitely take that personally. And like take I think Mourinho is thinking about that in the back of his mind, and he's fearing it. Yeah, and I'd say I'd say if City can break it, they'd be the better team. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, I don't think that the like I think that while the bottom thirteen teams in the Premier League are better than they were now, yeah. I don't think the top four or five are as good. Like I think. That was a time when, like, Man United weren't at their best. Like, Arsenal were just in a... And, like, they were transitioning. Like, Arsenal Arsenal were the year after the Invincibles. But I still think they were transitioning. Like, it was the last... I mean, I mean a little bit, but they had Robert Pires, Freddie Lundberg... No, it was still a good Arsenal you know, side. Pierre I just don't Henry. think it was quite the same as it was the year before. I mean, okay, yeah, it wasn't as good as the Invincible side, but, like... Um, even that United team, you know, that was the start of Ronaldo coming out as his... It was still probably Ferguson's worst United team, though. Oh, no, it's nowhere near as bad as when he won the league with Well, last yeah, year, well, he did know. win the league. You know, it, it, so it was flat to, out. And this is obviously disregarding the few teams as well before they won a league title. Uh, no, I... That... Like, this is just before he bought Vidic, isn't it? Uh, it was just before... It was just while Van Nistelrooy was still at the club. Yeah, I mean, Van Nistelrooy was a better striker than Louis Saha, who he had next year. Well, no, yeah, Luis came in. I think Luis had a season with Van Nistelrooy as well. I think he did, actually, but, um, like, there's no question in my mind Van Nistelrooy was a better striker. Yeah, but he just didn't suit that team. and like He, he, he didn't as like, much, It no. was apparent when he left that he was just bogging down the, the potential of that team. I mean, he was a bit, but I think, like, to disparage, like, that Mourinho team... No, I, like... Not disparage that Mourinho team, but to say that like the be- the best teams there weren't as good as the best teams now, I think is just flat out wrong. I think um, it's closer than you're making it sound. I I don't because like the European like, like look at their, more of them as well. Like look at definitely their, yeah. Like, that Tottenham side now would destroy the Tottenham side of 2004. Yeah, but the Everton side back then finished fourth. They would destroy the Everton and now. Okay, the, yeah. Liver- the Liverpool team of that year won the Champions League. That was you a know? poor. It was a to win the it Champions was a poor League, team to win the Champions League. It'd be a good match to watch that Liverpool side play the one of today. I think they'd beat them because I think the defense is a lot better. They had Sammy Hip, yeah. They had Jamie Carragher. They had Mart- did they have Skirtle and Agger back then? No, no, they didn't quite have them yet. But like, they still had a good team back then. You know, it'd be an interesting match. It'd, it would be interesting. I mean, I think that's Gerrard in his peak. Like, I know, okay, they were struggling at striker. They had Gibral Cisse and Peter Crouch yeah. up front, but at the same time. Like, I think that was a good Liverpool team. I think it was a better Arsenal team than the one we have now. Yeah, and I think it was no a better question. United team than we have now. That would be an interesting match as well. I think, I mean, yeah, probably. And if you're compa- comparing the champions, like, I think that Chelsea team was better than the Chelsea team now. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, That Chelsea much, team is one of the best Premier League sides. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and the thing is... Mourinho, all right, he spent an awful lot of money that year, especially in comparison. That's the thing that both managers kind of have in common. They yeah. have spent a lot of money to get where they are today. Absolutely. And I mean, that that Chelsea team was probably the worst example just because of how little teams were spending at the time yeah, in comparison. Yeah, like, what was it, £30 million on Andrei Shevchenko at the time? I think uh, was the that, was, that was 2006, I think. Yeah. Um, no, like the first year he came in, he bought 
players like Jeremy for 15 million. Yeah, bought, Drogba was 20 yeah, or something. 24. Um, he brought Aryan Robin in for 18. Yeah. Like some of those, in hindsight, look like fantastic transfers. Yeah. Some of those, Matej Kesman, um, yeah. not so much. Like, yeah, he spent an awful lot of money. But that Chelsea team, it wasn't like he won the league with that team with 95 points. Yeah. The team the year before, Nowhere near the team that won the league. Yeah. Like, I think that Chelsea team needed that sort of a big transformation. Whereas, um, when he came into Inter, it didn't need quite as big a transformation. Yeah, and it, no, like that Inter team did lose his best player in Zlatan the year they won the Champions League. But, I mean, he swapped it for Samuel Eto'o in 60 million. Samuel Eto'o, who yeah. fires him to the Champions League yeah, and that, the Syria. Uh, at first, that seemed like a questionable kind of decision. Oh, you're selling Zlatan. But in, in the end, I think it did benefit the team. No, it did. And like Zlatan at the time wanted to go to Barcelona to win the Champions League, to work with Guardiola. Yeah, poor Zlatan. He'll never I mean, win it. Yeah. But like, he went to work with Guardiola. I don't know if you've read his autobiography. I've, uh, I've read bits of it. Yeah. He was definitely more praising of Mourinho. Yeah. I think that's another factor. Mourinho is a much better man manager. Yeah. Like, just look at the. Was it Marco Manorazzi? I think we talked about this yeah. last week for some reason. But Marco Materazzi was crying yeah, in Mourinho's in shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Like that's how much the players, that's how much Mourinho meant to the players. Yeah, like I mean, he, he affects players in a way that Pep does. Yeah, I mean, Zlatan, after a year working with him in Inter, said he'd die for him. You know, yeah. it started over the Euros. You know, Mourinho's just signed for Inter. He's texting Zlatan already. How are you? How's my star man yeah. feeling for the game today? And it's like, Zlatan's like, holy, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. I don't even know you. And then by the end, he's just completely convinced. And I don't, like, I think Mourinho has lost a bit of that. I think part of that is down to, I don't know, did you hear, but his father passed away of cancer. Yeah, you know? that happened. Um, you know, that's yeah, and that's he's, not a good thing. I don't think happened. he's ever been the same. You know, I don't think yeah, he's he been... Yeah, he has seemed much calmer. Since, like, like ever since that the as Conte put it that Mourinho season he has seen to just yeah. be he's mellowed out kind of I mean he came back to Chelsea saying he was the happy one you know yeah. he wasn't happy you know that Chelsea team maybe the first year maybe even the second year definitely not the third year yeah. you know and I think even at United he's not been as happy you can see it in the way he deals with the press it used to be you know he used to be the special one you know, yeah, he'd laugh and joke. It he'd seems make... like he's just a lot more snide about his Yeah, marks. exactly. Like he's just complete disrespect of Pep Guardiola this week. To just, yeah, yeah, that's like, like as bad as like there were the voyeur comments back in the day. But, but the like, thing is, I think they were still funny at the time. The way he said it, the way he delivered still, it, they they were, were, they were cruel. They were yeah. they were snide. They were spiteful. But there was an edge of humour to he it. He had more charisma. He did. Like there was something about it that made you feel more forgiving of it. Whereas now, when he like when he called, he's Arsene, just attacking people now. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, because Wenger had started that. Wenger had been talking about how much Chelsea had spent. He just fires back. It was funny at the time. Now, yeah, now Mourinho's now, looking for him. Now he's on the warpath. You know, now he's kind of complaining about anything and everything. You don't need to give him an excuse. He's you know the specialist in failure cracks at Arsenal yeah. were a bit. Over the top. Yeah, they were unnecessary. Yeah, exactly. It all feels unnecessary. Where it used to feel, you know, a little bit more kind of added to the the uh, the event, the event of it. Yeah, like the spectacle. Yeah, it was all nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, he was kind of hyping it up for the media. You know, he was playing with yeah. the media. Now it looks like he's against them. He's against other managers. He's yeah, you know, and like since Pep has come into England, like the Peps or the media have turned on Mourinho. 
I mean, it's not like, just... He, he was the golden boy 10 years ago. Oh, he definitely was 10 years ago. But I think, like, even when he came back to Chelsea that first time, he had the whole refereeing conspiracy. Yeah, um, the stuff with Eva Carinero. Yeah, well. I mean, like, it's just... You don't see Pepe 10 years doing... Or Mourinho 10 years ago doing that, yeah. you know? Um, and you don't see Pep doing something like that at all. I mean, Pep's had his moments, not as often as Mourinho, yeah. not as bad as Mourinho, but he has had a couple of... Yeah, like I remember last season he was a bit disrespectful uh, during a few press conferences when things weren't going his way. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know, I, I think Mourinho's got a much larger history of it. Oh no, definitely Mourinho's got a larger history and he's 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 worse for it. I just feel that, you know, Pep can, it can be forgotten sometimes that Pep does it Two, not as much. Yeah, not any more than Klopp does it. Not any more than Conte does it. Not any more than Arsene Wenger does it. Yeah, but like he's not, you know, flawless, spotless. Just look at him yelling at Nathan Redmond. Yeah, that, that was you know? that was just a weird moment. I, it I was. It was. There's any other way to put that one? Like, yeah, it's Mourinho's. Just you know, he's the worst of managers taken to eleven, and he's the best of managers taken to yeah. eleven. Um. I don't know. He just feels larger than life in a way that a lot of others don't. But he doesn't have that aura around him like he used to. Like, I think his influence on the game is waning. I think, as you said, the whole 15 years thing, I think that could be affecting him as well. I agree. I mean... He's not the... Like, he's a serial winner throughout his career, but I don't think he's going to win... I don't think he's going to win another Premier League title. I don't think he's going to win another Champions League title. No, I mean, he's... Well, he's won a title every year except the first year with Real Madrid. That he hasn't got sacked the first, like, every full year he's, he's been at He's won it every club. second season. He's won the league every second season at the club he's been at. No, I'm fairly sure he's won a title in every season apart from the one he's got sacked and, and that first, first one at Madrid. And the first one at Chelsea in his second stint. He won the League Cup then, I think. Oh, right, right. I, yeah. I meant just the League okay. No, no, I mean, like, any sort of title. It doesn't oh, okay, have to be major. Yeah, yeah. You know, Mourinho counts them all. Um, <laughs> he really does. How many community shields does he have? Six, seven. God mm. knows. Um, but, yeah, like... Mourinho is a serial, serial winner, and his home record is the best of any. Yeah, like manager. that was only United's second defeat at home, yeah. and the first one was like also to Manchester City. I mean, I think he's lost something like fifteen, sixteen home games in his career. Yeah, since he, went he started like with eight or nine years, yeah. like his home record is unmatched. Like he, he didn't lose a game at home with Porto. He didn't lose a game at home with Chelsea. The first time. The first time he didn't lose a ha- game at home with Inter. I think the first one was with Madrid against Barca, you know. Uh, there was someone, was with, some random mid-table oh, team before Oh, yes, that. Was, was it Betis? It could have been, Some yeah. team like that. Gijon? Yeah, it was a team that, like, they're, they're, they're a mid-table La Liga yeah. team. Like, they're not a bad team, but it just seemed kind of random. It did, yeah. It was the first defeat in, like, nine years. Eleven, I think, yeah. I mean, you know, his, his, his home record is just flat-out incredible. And, like, was 15, 16 home losses ever... Half of them in Chelsea's terrible yeah. season. Everyone you know? was getting then. It was yeah, I mean... It's a fire sale. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think... that That, that is an underrated achievement, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think it is as well to some extent. But, like, in terms... The, the topic of the show started with is, is Pep... Not the... Where's the first question? But is there no way back for Mourinho in this rivalry? It's hard to say, really, because, like... Yeah, since they've both come into the Manchester clubs, you're absolutely right. They've both spent a lot of money. Guardiola's made a team. Mourinho's bought a couple of players. Yeah. Like, I don't know, has he lost it? Has he, you know... Because, yeah, 
look at the way he's treated poor Luke Shaw. You know, do you think Luke Shaw would die for him? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. No. Like, I don't think any of those United no. players would. Maybe Zlatan still, just because of Ander Herrera. Maybe yeah, and part of that's just because of the person Ander Herrera yeah. is. As well. I mean, is Marcus Rojo going to do it? Phil Jones? No, I don't. Juan Mata. Juan Mata, who he booted out in his first uh, goal yeah. or his second goal at Chelsea. Like, I yeah, because I mean even. Even the second stint at Chelsea, how many of those players looked like they'd die for him? Not many. No, three rats, you know? Yeah. Um, it did feel a bit like they were getting him out of the club. And I don't think he's had that since Madrid. You know, I think Madrid kind of marked the best portion of Jose Mourinho's career. That second year, he won the league, yeah, beat Pep's Barca. Yeah, that's the most successful I don't even I don't even know is that the most successful, but I think it's well, one of the maybe most. Maybe it's probably not his best achievement. Like I think that inter inter travel is the best achievement he'll I have mean, in his career. The inter travel, the Porto Champions League win, yeah. the Chelsea ninety five points. They're he, all he's incredible. Had, he's had a great career. They're all incredible. Like, but I just think in terms of this rivalry with Pep, the Pep has gotten the definitive better over him. I mean, yeah, and I do think that some of that is, and that, you know, that'll probably like to be to be fair to me, you know, that'll probably be like one of the few black marks on his career yeah I mean he's the only manager with a winning record against Ferguson isn't he yeah like Something he used like to that. always get the better yeah. of Ferguson I mean I think that a lot of um, Guardiola well maybe not a lot maybe it's a bit unfair to say it but I think that Guardiola is helped by the fact that he got into coaching four years later than Mourinho not because of the 15 year cycle so much as Guardiola's football wouldn't work 10 years before he started coaching Guardiola, if Guardiola had tried doing that in the year 2000, he would be like Marco Bielsa. He would be an yeah. ideologue who has not had the success that, you know, you think he should have. Poor Bielsa. Um, poor Bielsa. Like, I, I just don't see Guardiola's football working or starting to work at any... Like, I don't see the birth of that style of football anywhere but Barcelona of that time with those players, with Lionel Messi coming into bloom with Iniesta and Xavi in the midfield, yeah. with Danny Alves on the on the wing, not in fullback, you know, with Puyol at the back, with um, Alexi Sanchez and Pedro cutting in. Like, it was all set up perfectly for him. And I think that's what's launched him on. That was a fantastic launch pad for him, you know. And I think that's helped solidify his belief in his football. Um, it's helped give legitimacy to it, you know, because they won everything. Obviously, yeah. this football works. I don't think that would work anywhere else at any other time, you know. With do you think the do you think Ronaldinho would fit into Pep's system? No, no. Like a part of that kind of fits with Mourinho as well, though, because like that Champions League season, everything kind of just fell into place for him. Absolutely, Porto. absolutely. I think with Porto, it did. But again, like that that type of football is a l- like it's a little more timeless. Yeah, definitely. I think I think you drop them into um, right, maybe not Chelsea, but any English team with the same funds as any English team with the same relative funds as Chelsea yeah. in two thousand and five. I think he could win the league. You know, yeah. Um, you do that in nineteen ninety five, he can win the league. You do it in nineteen ninety, he could probably win the league. Um, you drop him into that inter team in two thousand, I think he wins the league. Um, you drop him into Real Madrid and. God knows, 2002, I think yeah. he wins the league, you know? I just, I think Mourinho is able to adapt like that better, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's think, a valid point. Uh, I, I think, yeah, Guardiola is a man of his time, whereas Mourinho would be successful anytime, anywhere he goes. Yeah. Because, partially, he gets a lot of his success from motivating his players so well, and because he builds his team around the players he has. 
or the players he has and can bring in. Yeah. Um, I think I like I think we fairly extensively covered this one. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, listeners, if you have any thoughts on on this rivalry between Mourinho and Pep, please email in at the at the tfpod at gmail uh, dot com. Uh, that that will do us for our topic of the show. Uh, join us for part three, where we'll look forward to the Premier League midweek fixtures. Welcome back. Uh, there are another set of midweek fixtures this week. Uh, there was another one two weeks ago. Uh, so what better time to preview them than right now? Uh, on Tuesday evening, we Huddersfield hosts Chelsea, and we talked a little bit about Chelsea's defeat against West Ham earlier. Is Huddersfield the unideal opponent for Chelsea? Pretty much. I mean, they're like we've said before, they're very, very good at home. They've lost, what, two, three games at home this season? Uh, just the one, I think. To just the Tottenham. one. Was City away? Oh, yeah, City, yeah. I forgot it was City. Yeah, City and Tottenham, you know? Like, they've beaten beaten Man United at home. Like, they gave City a good test. Yeah, I mean, they're a really good team, um, especially at home. Chelsea have had trouble breaking down a parked bus. Yeah. Just this Sunday, or Saturday. Saturday. Um, You know, like, Eden Hazard's obviously tired. Alvaro Morata. Yeah, will we see some rotation maybe from Conte? Maybe. Can you can you afford to drop Eden Hazard? I don't know. Um, what's he resting him for? You know, just the Christmas uh, period. Another Premier League game on the weekend. Um, you've Cesc Fabregas, who is built for games like these, as far as Chelsea are concerned. Um, but at the same time, he couldn't do it against West Ham. Yeah. You've got Alvaro Morata, who started fantastically, has eased off a little bit, maybe is not finishing quite as well as he was at the beginning of yeah. the season. Still a good player, still playing well. I think this could be a good match to drop Kante for, for a match. Do you remember how bad Chelsea looked for that month without Chelsea? Yeah, but I don't think Huddersfield are going to be expecting to have the ball all that often. I mean, that's true. You, Yeah, um, Mourinho always says the team with the ball is the team with the fear. Yeah, and Kante on the ball looks the, the least comfortable. Um, I'd say he's a bit more comfortable than Bakayoko right now. Maybe, yeah, but he's, um, a, he's a lot more limited than Bakayoko is. I mean, yeah, I could see a two-man midfield. Um, Chelsea goes 3-4-3, three, three, Danny Drinkwater and Cesc Fabregas in the middle. Um, stick William or Pedro up on front. Yeah, I, I feel like Conte has kind of lost a bit of faith in Willian. He's not playing as much as he was. Willian's an odd one. I mean, he can look fantastic and then look terrible the next week. He's no consistency. I mean, he was... Like he was very poor on Saturday when he came on. He was very poor. But um, was it the Atletico game? He was on for 10 minutes and looked fantastic? Well, or was it the game home, before it? Because he missed the... He skied the shot that he had. He did, yeah. Against Atletico. What game was it now? He came on with about... The Liverpool match he came on scored the equaliser. That's the one, the Liverpool game. He looked fantastic in the little cameo yeah. he had. You know, um, I think Pedro's a bit more consistent. Um, and he always seems to deliver the goods for Chelsea when they need it. Pedro's been a good player for Chelsea, yeah. Um, I think he's unlucky with this new 3-5-2 that Conte's been trying out. Yeah, it doesn't really fit Pedro. It doesn't. It doesn't fit Pedro or Willian, who were two very good players last year for Chelsea. Um it also requires more from Chelsea's midfield, which isn't great when they have four fit central midfielders. Um, like, I think Conte is trying to change the way the team plays, and I think he's right in doing that because I think they got figured out a bit at the end of last season. Yeah, I just don't think that they have the players to switch to a midfield three, 
which they do need because Fabregas can't play in a midfield too. He yeah. doesn't have the defensive ability to do it. Um, with Kante, you can afford to not play two holding midfielders. Yeah. But, like, drink they, water... They could drop back Yoko for drink water. I mean, drink water, Kante, in your midfield too. You can still play Fabregas, like, if you want to play the three-five-two still. Yeah, but that way you're dropping Pedro and Willian again. You know, yeah, it's, it's... Chelsea just don't seem to have... Like, they have a good team, they have a lot of good players, they have some good depth in some positions. They just don't seem to have a formation... That suits all their players. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting time for Conte. He needs to kind of refine himself. Yeah, and I think I think if he does sort of ponder on that, and Chelsea's board identifies the signings they need now and goes for them properly, I think you know, right, take this year, qualify for the Champions League, get you know, okay, I was going to say get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League with Barca, that might be quite difficult. Yeah, you know, put up a good showing against Barca. You know, make a run the FA but Cup. Will Conte stay next summer? It's hard to say. Like he hasn't looked happy for a good while. Um, he definitely wasn't happy going into the season with four midfielders. Yeah, flat out. Like he's been saying it all along. He wasn't happy. He wanted another midfielder. Um, I think he's quite lucky. He got as many as he did. Denny Drinkwater was only signed with what a week left. Less. It was on the deadline. Yeah, I mean, he came for thirty-five million as well. And I mean, I thought that was a bit extreme at the time. He's played quite well. He's yeah. not that old. I mean, he's a Premier League winner after all. He's a Premier League winner. You keep him for five years. He keeps the consistency that he's got at the moment. I think that's a good signing in the end. Um, but like, they needed another midfielder coming into this. They needed another fullback. Zapacostas had to play on both full ba- yeah. fullback positions. As Pilaquetas have to deputise a couple of times. Um, like, if Chelsea signed those two. And have another creative player so that Hazard doesn't have to do everything up front. Yeah. I think they're looking very good. Um, but yeah, that's not right now. Right now they don't have any of those things. Will they beat Huddersfield? I mean, I think they I think they will. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they draw. Yeah, I could, I could see Huddersfield winning this match, actually. I think the, of, the, of the top teams, I think this is the biggest potential for an upset. I mean, yeah, Huddersfield away is just a difficult place to go. Um, I think Chelsea's defence is still quite solid and yeah. I think it would be, you know, like they'll have a lot of the ball. Huddersfield will try to hit them on the counter. I think Chelsea are quite used to that. I think they're quite good at dealing with that. I would be fairly surprised if Huddersfield score more. Okay, they might get one goal, but yeah, I don't see them scoring score more one. than that. But that could be enough in this. That could be enough. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think Chelsea will get a goal, maybe two. May, like if they get two, I could see them open up the floodgates a bit. Yeah, um, it'll be an interesting, interesting one to watch. It's yeah. live on BT. It's uh, someone live on BT on Tuesday, uh, so I'll be watching that one. I, uh, <laughs> and then on Wednesday evening, uh, Manchester City are away to Swansea, and it's probably the nicest match they could have to I, follow up that brawl at Old Trafford. Yeah, so naturally they'll lose it one 0 and Swansea will get off the bottom of the table. That would be a huge shock, I think. I think this is going to be comfortable too. It maybe. should like be. Swansea are good defensively, so it could be nil nil for a while. But I think I mean Swansea. I think that Man City will come through with this. Swansea one. have nothing going on up front. Yeah, they have flat out nothing going on up front. Um, City have looked a bit shaky recently. They weren't great against West Ham. They got the win. They weren't great against United. They got the win. Yeah, who was they play the week before? They're playing Huddersfield, they played Southampton. Southampton was a bit of a grinding out again. Yeah, like yeah. The, they, they they had another 2-1 victory as well yeah. that I can't think of. Against, it was not last weekend, but the weekend before. But anyway, 
Like they haven't looked as good as they you know were at the same time. They're still grinding out victories. Yeah, like Swansea are bottom of the table. Yeah, and if you see them getting back that early season flashback, swashbuckling form anywhere, it's away against Swansea. Yeah, you know? I, I would think so too. Uh, and Liverpool host West Brom and w- which West Brom is it going to be is it going is going to be are they going to come out and attack the Parisi way or will the Pulis effect just be a reflex and they'll go back to being really defensive I mean I think yeah like Liverpool there are two type of teams that really trouble Liverpool the teams that are very very quick and good on the counter attack because Liverpool's defence isn't good at dealing with that. It's too slow. Yeah, and the type of teams that completely pack the bus and clog up the middle and Liverpool don't get any traction going forward. Yeah, which we saw at the weekend. Which we saw with Everton. So, like, I don't know which part he was going to go with, but he has to go with one of them. And with the lack of, you know, speedy attackers in West Brom's team, I'd say we're going to be seeing a very parked bus. Yeah, I could see this being a a bit of a dull affair. I don't know. One, one nil Liverpool for me. I think um, Salah's in great form. I can see them. Yeah, scoring. I could see just you Salah know. and Mane overwhelming yeah. them if they play. If if you don't know play, a prop at yeah. the moment. And then uh, Man United host West Brom. They're still without Pogba. Uh, can, can they cope without Pogba at home against Bournemouth? I think so. Yeah, I, I like if their team is going to be that bad without Pogba, then it says more about United as a whole. Yeah. than it does anything else so if they, if they can't beat Bournemouth they're in a lot of trouble I think and like that's not to discredit Bournemouth I think, I think they're a good side they're a good side I but just think Maynard should be winning this match yeah but Bournemouth are a bit out of form this season they haven't looked as good as last year um, the one problem I would see for United is that their central midfield is not creative with Pogba gone like who's going to create it, chances like, in the middle it shouldn't be the case though that oh, one player is gone as good as Pogba is it shouldn't be this reliant on Pogba it shouldn't but I mean Pogba's one of the rare examples of a two way midfield player like how many teams in the league even have that you know Chelsea don't yeah, have no, one yeah no I think like, he's a great player I just think that they should be able to even just have someone on the bench for when Pogba's not there to bring on yeah, but like United don't have anyone like that in the center. And yeah, some, like that's, and that's kind of my point. The thing like, is, why are Man United like why like it's, Man United just seem like they're very poorly run. But the thing is, players like that aren't common, you know. No, I'm not saying you buy someone or have someone on the bench that is Pogba. I just mean someone that can create. I yeah, I mean someone that won't like, even somebody, someone that can play the ball on the ground, like. I mean, technically, if Heinrich Mkhitaryan can do that, Juan Mata can do the, that. They they play too far off the pitch that the ball ends up just flowing over their head. It's. I agree. You mean yeah? You're talking about somebody like Fabregas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For like, but how many teams in the league have somebody like that? City, City of plenty. But like, you know? Mina should should be able like they have all the resources in the world. This should not be a problem for them. Yeah, but that's what Pog was brought in to do. That's his role in the team. So they but don't Pog have a backup. Only one man. Yeah, they don't have a backup for him, but Chelsea don't have a backup for Fabregas, you know? Well, they've done Drinkwater, who I think is a similar... Like, he's not as good as Fabregas, but I think he's a similar style. I think he's a bit more of an all-rounder than, you know... Um, he can be creative, but I think he's a bit more... I think he's got a very good range of pass, which I don't think you can say about a lot of my United players. Like, that's true. They don't have any midfielder who can pass the ball more than 10 metres, really, outside Besides of Pogba. Pogba, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I would... Yeah... They just don't have much creativity going forward. They've got a lot of threat in the wings. They don't have much creativity. Yeah, it could just be a match that's played out in the wide, and yeah. hopefully they're just gonna hope they're just gonna hope that Lukaku can find his goal scoring form again. I mean, yeah, I think Lukaku's been quite good so far without 
scoring many yeah, goals. Yeah, he was crucial in the win against Arsenal. He's just been very unlucky, I think. Like he's been put under a lot of criticism. I was skeptical of his abilities while he was at Everton. Um, I wouldn't say he's proven me wrong. Like he's kind of proven me right with his form at the moment, but. I still think some of the criticism at the moment has been very harsh. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's come because, you know, he's being compared to Avro Morata, who looks like he'd suit this United team yeah. better. You know, I think that's the bigger issue with Lukaku that a lot of people have with him. Um, but, like, he's still a great player, you know. Um, he's... But the thing is, he's known as goal scorer. That's what he's, you know, his yeah. biggest attribute is, his finishing, his, you know... His strength, his pace, and his ability to stick the ball in the back of the net, which he's not doing at the moment. So, yeah, he is showing another side to his game. I mean, how many assists has he got before with Everton, with West Brom? Not uh, I, I don't know what his assist figures have been, but I, like he has contributed to United's attacking play very well. No, that's what I'm saying. I think, um, I think the two-man up-front system that they've been playing recently has really suited him as well. No, yeah, like I think that's another string to his bow, and I think it's one that he's really only added since moving to United. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the moment he's just not scoring goals, and the way that United team is set up, you know, if the goal is not coming from the center, it has to come from one of the wingers. You yeah. know, Martial, Lingard, and Rashford. Martial's in great form at the moment. Like he's yeah. kind of picking up Lukaku's yeah. slack. Yeah, um, I think Lingard's playing quite well. At the yeah, moment Lingard's too. probably in the best form I've seen him play in a long yeah. time. Yeah, um, I think yeah, Rashford's always dangerous. You know, he got the goal against yeah, City. Um, so, like, even if they're missing a bit of creativity, I think United still will have chances. They will, you know. Yeah, even, and it's at home as well. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, and even if it's only um, by pressuring Bournemouth and making them make mistakes, yeah, United have enough quick, good finishers to you know properly um, exploit that. So I think yeah. they should be fine. Will we see Zlatan start maybe? It wouldn't be the strangest place for him to get his first start back from injury. Yeah, I think, um, it'd, I think it might make sense to maybe rest Lukaku. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think if it's going to happen, it should happen at home, Yeah, you know? So I don't see why not, really. Yeah, I, I could see him starting as well. Uh, and then Spurs get warmed up for their match against Man City at the weekend by hosting Brighton at home. Uh, I think that's not the the ideal opponent for Tottenham either. No, nah, Brighton are quite tough. I mean, they did get a bit of a hammer in there. Um, uh, 5-0 against Liverpool, I think yeah. it was. But I think they, that was at home. I think it's yeah. harder for them to set up defensively at home. It's a way it might suit them. Wembley, Do you, they'll, they'll relish playing at Wembley. Yeah. I think they'll set up very defensively. Tottenham have struggled against the parked bus, yeah. uh, for want of a better term. But Harry Kane's back in the goals this week, so maybe that could be the difference. It could, especially if he gets an early one. I think that's probably why Liverpool ended up scoring five. Yeah, an five. early goal could be the, uh, the start of a route. Yeah, and I mean, of course, Brighton Shane Duffy is going to have flashbacks to the Denmark game yeah. with Christian Eriksen coming up against them. Um, oh, don't mind me. I know. Uh, but yeah, really... If Brighton's Brighton are going to be tight, they're going to be packed defensively, and if they manage that for an hour without any problems, I think that Tottenham will be starting to struggle a bit. At the same time, Harry Kane's a fantastic striker. Christian Eriksen's a brilliant playmaker. They can score a goal at any time, you know, with those two and on the pitch. And from any position. And from well, any like position. Harry Kane has scored a lot of long-range goals. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Brighton will not be safe until the game is over, really. You know, I could see goals happening at any point. Um, At the same time, Brighton are very, very good defensively. 
So, like, I could see them holding out Tottenham, you know? They're one of the few teams in the league that I think are good enough at the back to do it. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Like, Spurs kind of need to catch up with the rest of them. Like, they got lucky this weekend, but they won't get lucky every weekend. Yeah, um, I think that little bit of a gap that's opened up will probably close quick enough. Um, yeah, they're they're only a one point one point behind behind Arsenal at this point, but like they want to be ahead of Arsenal. Like they're in terms of the top six race, they're last. Yeah, and, and don't want to be last. Yeah, and they're are they the only team with City left to play? Have Arsenal played City? Uh, yeah, I think they're the only team left yeah. to play City. Yeah, so I mean. You know, that's probably skewing it even further because City yeah. are getting wins against everybody at the moment. So, you know, everybody else is three points further back than, you know, Spurs are. Yeah, that's assuming Man City will beat Spurs. That's I think assuming. I think if any of the top teams is going to beat Man City, it could be Tottenham. Even with Pochettino's record against the big teams? Uh, well, they won at home last season against Man City and Pochettino has a good record against Man City. I think out of four matches for Tottenham, he's won three. And draw on the other. Right. I mean, like, yeah, Spurs' play style does suit it. Um, but I think, like, they need both Wanyama and Dembele to, yeah. in the middle to do much to City's midfield. And I think at the back, they're still missing out Alder Veerald. Yeah, maybe like, the injury, maybe the, the timing isn't quite right for Spurs. Yeah, just I, think, I think those two injuries especially are going to be a bit too much. Uh, and then the final game we're going to look at is West Ham host Arsenal. It's another big night at the London Stadium. The, the, the nighttime fixtures seem to always be a much better atmosphere at the London Stadium, although it was quite good at the weekend. And Arsenal kind of a, a nice opponent for West Ham to follow up after such a big win against Chelsea. I mean, they prefer Newcastle or... You <laughs> maybe, know. but maybe David Moyes just... He loves the he loves the big occasion, David Moyes. I mean, yeah, I'd say the London Stadium is going to be absolutely rocking. Um, they've got their first win under Moyes. You know, they've got two improved performances. Things are, you know, probably going to be the a bit more optimistic. It's a lot more organised. It does, which yeah. Is very helpful considering the chaos that they look like they they were under Billich. Yeah, yeah, and I mean with um, Mikel Antonio up front, you know. Arsenal's defence always have mistakes in them. They're not in good form at the moment, yeah. any of them. You know, it was Murdersacker at the weekend. Um, it was Koscielny before that. Um, Mustafi as well. Mustafi, you know, is it Monreal's turn now? Yeah, maybe. Like, you know, Arsenal definitely always have a mistake in them. I think Antonio's a good player, you know. Um, he never seems to finish a match. Every time I watch West Ham, he goes off injured and then he's back the next week. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah, but I mean... If he can stay fit for the chance, you know, I think West Ham will have two or three good chances in this game. Yeah. And like if they finish him, you know, they might get a win because I do see them being quite strong defensively. I, Arsenal are a good team to break down defences like this, though. You know, Lacazette's yeah. good, Ozil's good at it. I think um, Sanchez might need to be dropped, though. Like he, the stat yesterday was that he gave away possession 32 times against Southampton, which was. Just two fewer than the record set for Arsenal, which was Sanchez against Man United, which was 34 times. Yeah. Like, he's not having a good time. Like, maybe his heart's just not in it, but maybe he is just out of form. Honestly, um, I'd like to see Wenger drop him and play Giroud up front with Lacazette. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. The two of them up front. I even think, like, I don't particularly rate Danny Welbeck by himself, but I think his link-up play with... Ozil and Lacazette is yeah. like enough to warrant him in the team. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see those two up front with Ozil feeding them, yeah. um, and you know, 
two decent wingers and I think they're, you know, happy out because really Ozil is coming into his own at the moment. He's the heartbeat yeah, of that team. Yeah, like some of the best form he's had for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's as good as he's been since, you know, the World Cup with Germany and yeah. his time with Real Madrid. And putting two strikers in front of him will really, like that's a system that suits that him. Suit him. That yeah. suits him, especially when the two different strikers yeah. like Giroud and Lacazette because they both do what they do so well. You know, and Giroud, like when a team is going to sit back, like the, or West Ham will, like Giroud, will, yeah, that's the exact kind of match you want him like, to play. You get you get Giroud in there; he's the bull in the china shop, and then you get Lacazette, yeah. who's in, you know, picking up all the pieces. I I think I think it'd be very interesting to see. Um, like, yeah, West Ham are good defensively, though. So, yeah. like, they do need a big game out of Ozil. You know, um, if he's off form, I don't see much happening at all for Arsenal. Yeah, you know? but Arsenal also just have a fantastic record at the London Stadium. That's like true. They just keep destroying West Ham every time they play West Ham recently. Yeah. No, I mean, I do see Arsenal winning it. I do think they'll yeah, win it. Yeah, I think Arsenal will win it as well. Yeah, I'd call it 3-1 maybe, you know. Yeah, I um, could see them getting a view past our, our yeah. West Ham. Yeah, like they're... they're just a good team right now. Arsenal, honestly, I think they are looking better than they have been in a while. Yeah, you know, and it's time to see that turned into more wins. Yeah, like it's just the last couple of matches. Before that, they were in great form, uh, and I think they will return to that. Like they, they I think the last few matches have just been uh, unlucky on their. Part. I mean, they were a bit unlucky against Southampton, um, and they were definitely unlucky against United. Yeah, uh, and it is with that I think that we will bring this very long show to a close. I'm, I'm kind of tired and hungry now. And uh, it is with that I want to thank you to uh, any any listeners who managed to listen through all 100 minutes of this podcast. Um, uh, you can email us at the tfpod at gmail.com if you have any questions on anything we discussed this week. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the tfpod. Follow me on Twitter at cheesy for some extra football musings through the week. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform of your choice. Uh, until next time, say goodbye, Matthias. Goodbye, Matthias. And uh, it's goodbye from me.